Backpackers, travellers and globetrotters from all around the world, it's part two day. We're back to Vietnam. We left you guys last time as we left Nha Trang and Mei Li. Now we're going to go to Hoi An, Da Nang and beyond. If you're tuning into part two first, recommend go back to part one because we're going to have a few more interesting stories for you, whether it's by bike, by plane, by bus or by train. This is part two of Vietnam, the centre and the north. My favourite town I've ever been to is Hoi An. I'm always lost for words to try and explain it. It's an old colonial looking town. You've still got that French influence running through it in its buildings. You've still got the Japanese influence sitting through when it was just a little fishing village. And then the lanterns. I mean, it's the city of lanterns for a reason, you know. The pace of the place too is, it's almost like time stood still. Yes, definitely. We used to fly into Da Nang and then take the bus to Hoi An. Yes. Because Hoi An is so small mm. with its tiny streets, you can't get big buses all the way through. So what we had to do as a tour group, we had to actually park outside Hoi An, then get in vans to drive the vans through the town and go in. Yeah, and because the streets are so small and because it's quite walker-friendly, I can't think of another place where you can really feel relaxed walking and window shopping and looking at things. And look, and there's like, what is it, 300 tailors in Hoi An? Oh, it's ridiculous. And this is a town that has about eight roads. So if you were going to get clothes made, yeah, definitely the place to do it. But like you said, the other thing that we touched on earlier, that barn me. <laughs> Find that barn me. <laughs> Hoi An, in my opinion, has the most high quality restaurants per capita than anywhere else in the world mm. i reckon yeah the food in hoi an is phenomenal yeah. for such a small place that has so many fantastic restaurants so many great cooking classes as well great place to do one if anyone's interested in getting into the cooking of it mm. but you got bar mi Phuong, which is that bar mi that we were talking about that bourdain recommended still a dollar yeah it's still cheap yeah there's great places like green mango cargo as well yeah which do really nice high-end looking and tasting meals but again you're paying 10 bucks for it barley well was made famous when gerard butler went there and yeah, they do yeah. a really cheap summer spring roll buffet sort of thing they teach you how to roll these spring rolls and you just pay your dong and then you roll as many as you want you eat as many as you want mm. for those that aren't on the motorbike getting yourself a little pushy taking that out to the beach and it even opens you up to other areas where you can sort of delve into a different side of the religious side of Vietnam as well. You can go out to Marble Mountains, yeah, which is an old Confucius temple there that they utilized the yes. cave. And that was actually a big part of the Vietnam War. The Southern Vietnamese and the Americans used to use the cave itself to hide from the Northern bombers. And that became their little hospital. Mm, so mm, after mm. the war, it was able to preserve that. And there's a little monument inside. And then when you take the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory style glass elevator up to the top, you've got these beautiful like Chinese style Confucius temples. Yep. I don't think you can really talk enough about Hoi An. It's, it's just one of those places. I'll add another word to it is the tranquility. It's the one place where you feel like you could sit in a restaurant, have a cold beer and watch little boats just moving past and have the lanterns there as the sun's going down. I spent four days there when I did my trip up. I was only going to spend one and I, I just stayed there because I just absolutely loved it. I, I just felt my batteries recharging. I, I was just, you know, I'd explore the town. Da Nang is like 40 k north of Hoi An. 
and you could spend all your time in Hoi An and skip Da Nang. <laughs> well, that's literally what we used to do on the tours. Yeah. I had so many people that would ask about Da Nang because Da Nang is one of the biggest cities and it is famous for particular bridges, which we'll go into in a sec. Mm. But we got to the point where it was like, do you sacrifice more time in Hoi An to go to Da Nang or, you know, do you get the most out of Hoi An? Yeah. I think it's kind of a no-brainer in a way. Uh, it's like, as long as you've got at least two to three days in Hoi An, yep. like you're probably set, but any less, like no way. If you're a photographer, you can just go around and get all that photography done. If you're a foodie, all those restaurants in there. If you're wanting to do all of that, getting clothes made and everything else, that's where everyone goes. It's this weird yep. little hub before you go on. As long as you haven't missed that in your stop, you're doing it right. There is a bit of nightlife there. Tiger Tiger goes off. Beware of the nitrous oxide balloons. Uh, yeah, seizures, yeah. not good. <laughs> <laughs> there is a curfew there as well. But that being said, the, the nightclubs do sort of cater to that. So when Tiger Tiger closes from the curfew, they'll take you to Tiger Tiger yeah. 2, which is just out of town a little bit. There's also a bar called Mr. Bean Bar, which is literally just <laughs> themed around Mr. Bean, which is, I mean, if I was going there as a kid, I'd love it. But it looked kind of creepy with all the lighting. But that's just my opinion. And I did find a really nice chill bar called Dive Bar, which is literally just that. It's a little dive bar. You sit back, relax. You can sit at the bar and have a few drinks, talk to the publican, or you can go to the back room and chill out and sit in bean bags, play some pool, whatever. You know, it's a really cool place. There is a hostel I stayed there, Aaron, called the Sleepy yep. Gecko Hostel. Very interesting character who runs it, a guy called Steve. I think he was British, but he lived in Australia. And just telling all the stories about you know, what goes on around there and giving you all that advice and free rum shot. on That's, on that's handy. That's a good like win that. for me. Let's make our way to Da Nang. They've got some cool bridges. There's the Golden Hands Bridge, which Instagram yep. made famous. It's a bit of a trek to get to. It's a little bit expensive because it's yep. actually in a theme park sort of area. You have to go out to Barna Hills first. I've never actually been up there purely because of how busy it is up there. A lot of people that have gone up there on my tours and come back and been like, the bridge was good, but you know, when a whole place is crowded like that, it's hard to enjoy. And I can totally understand that. I actually think the dragon bridge is really cool. Did you see that when you're on your bike? Is that, that's in the town itself? Yeah. In this, yeah. Right in the city. There's like this yeah. big, it's 666 yeah. meters long and it's this golden dragon, which is the bridge. And I believe it's at six o'clock on Sundays. It breathes fire. <laughs> yeah. Fire breathing bridge, cool. <laughs> you gotta yeah, see. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've only ever had the chance to drive yeah. over it when we were driving from Hoi An to Hoi. Yeah, they've got really nice beaches there as well. It's another resort town, Aaron. Like it's sort of got that nice open bay, hot sun. Get a coconut on the beach, chill out. It's quieter than Hanoi and it's quieter than Ho Chi Minh. Yeah, it's big. It has the potential to be like the other two, but it's not. And unlike Hanoi or Ho Chi Minh, the beach is there. You want to go and stay at the resort, it's there. There's an international airport, you want to fly out, you can go. The one thing that was made famous about Da Nang, as you probably know, is that uh, Hoi Van Pass. When you come out of Da Nang and you're heading up towards Hoi, there is basically a road that was made famous in Top Gear. And the history behind it was that they built this, as they called it, a ribbon of perfection. And from a bike perspective, it does. They're, they're, I think when you're in Dalat and you're coming from Dalat in a train, you'll get a similar experience, but this is on the beach. And there's a tunnel that goes straight through the middle of the mountain. And they built the tunnel because obviously the trucks were really struggling up the hill. And then the government said, what if an oil tanker blows up in the tunnel? So anything that's dangerous goods goes up the Hoi Van Pass. Any of the buses go straight down the middle of the tunnel. 
when you're riding your bike, you're like, oh, look at these sweeping corners. And then you'll see like petrol truck. <laughs> Sounds like it's on its last legs and you're like, do I go around it? So I've done some of my most scariest overtakes have been on the Hoyvan Pass because I'm like, if I don't yeah. get around you and your brakes fail, look, it is quite an experience. It is probably one of those things that you'll, as a rider, have to say you've done it. And after that, that's, I think, the tipping point where you actually come into play. Yeah. I think that's where the weather starts to really change. That's where I got really cold for the first time. So if you're thinking Da Nang, you're thinking hot sun, coconut trees, and for whatever reason, when I got to Hawaii, I froze. I don't know if it's that mountainous range that actually blocks the wind, but that to me was the first time I felt like there was like a difference between the south of Vietnam and the north of Vietnam. From there on up, it was getting cold. Hue is sort of the, the most northern point of the old southern Vietnam. And you look at what mm. Hue has to offer with its history, with its imperial city, which it was the capital in the very, very beginning. Mm. And that's where you do start to get the change of the monsoon seasons as well. And the food changes too. Hue is one of those places that if you've got the time, I definitely recommend checking it out if you want the history side of it. Yeah. The Imperial Citadel itself is the home of the worst of the battles that went down in the Tet Offensive. For those that don't know much about the Vietnam War, it was basically swayed during the Vietnamese New Year called Tet, when the Northerners attacked over 100 different bases of South Vietnamese and American troops. The main and biggest attack was at the Imperial Citadel. Even walking through there today, you can still see evidence of that gunfight. It's quite an interesting place for its history. My opinion on Hue, if you've got the time, check it out. If not, I think Hoi An, Ho Chi Minh City and Ha Long Bay are sort of the, the main hotspots to hit. The world's biggest cave is in Vietnam. Oh, yes. I've seen the pictures of this and I really, this, really want to go This is amazing. There. The national park's called Phong Nha. It was probably one of the highlights of my trip. Uh, one thing I will tell you is about what's called the Ghost Highway. They called it the Ghost Highway because when the Americans were bombing Hanoi, they bombed along the border. So as you know, Vietnam borders Laos and they were dropping all the bombs because they thought they were coming in through Laos, coming down and then coming out through the south. So there's a highway there where there's no one on it. And it's concrete highway. I was doing about 90 kilometres an hour. Anyway, when you get to Phong Nha, it's like an inland Halong Bay. The limestone cliffs are there. The mountains open up. There was this tiny little area, which was the backpacker area. Now, I don't know what it's like now. It's probably different. But when I was there, I can only describe it, it was like a World War II pilot coming in. So there was all these Honda winds lined up at 45 degree angle, a 44 gallon drum on fire. Everyone was there like covered in dust and covered in patches and all their Honda winds. And there was a welding shop next door. And that welding shop was just fixing the racks. <laughs> And it looked cool because by that stage, all the bikes had a bit of individual charm and a little bit of character and they're all banged up. You know, I had the stars and they're all colours. And it was, it was like a biker stop. And then I said to Diego, I said, oh, what do you want to see here? And he said, you've got to see the caves. So the world's biggest one, I believe still to this day, you need a lot of money. And it's a three-day underground trip. You actually have to have a doctor and there's two tour guides. They take you into it. From what I understand, it's as big as Manhattan. The Damn. It's got its own cloud system. It's got its own beach. It is crazy. If you haven't seen it, Google it. It just looks surreal. The dome of the cave is huge. And they still don't think that they've discovered all of it. But in terms of a stop, if you're on the bike, the road's awesome. It opens up. That highway, the ghost highway, there's no one on it. You can go and see the caves. And all that water is like that aqua blue water. 
Yeah. It's probably the last significant stop before Hanoi. Whatever you do, don't miss it. Oh man, that's got me itching. I've wanted to see those caves for quite some time, but to actually hear what they're actually like is oh, that's it, awesome. It's yeah, phenomenal. Well, let's go straight up to Hanoi then, the current capital city of Vietnam. Actually, my favorite. Yeah. To be honest, I'm not a city person, yeah. but I think it's the most Vietnamese. It's polarizing. People can either look at it and see its beauty, or they can look at it and see the chaos. Mm-hmm. It's less structured than the other cities. I mean, from the Hoan Kiem Lake in the middle of town, it's quite pretty, to some of the more historical locations. You've got the B-52 Lake, <laughs> where there's literally still a fighter jet in the lake sticking out. When you experience it, you'll see the difference between Saigon and Hanoi. And like you said, there's still the chaos. If you come into Hanoi, that'll be your first experience of crossing a road. If you ever see it, you'll see the old Vietnamese women, they'll wave their hand down, they'll just sort of flap like a duck. And they'll do it to buses. They just stick their hand out and it just means slow down, slow down. So I just started doing the same thing. <laughs> really yeah. Cautious but confident cautious is my, confident. Is my yep. thing. If you're, if you're cautious and you start to approach and you make it very clear that you're approaching, <laughs> you know, even if you're doing your duck flap, and then once you see they start to slow down, confidence. Because the moment you don't have that confidence is the moment you get hit. Yeah. And <laughs> because don't... they're planning to go behind you now. Correct. Most stuff will be a little bit north of the lake. Yeah, that's the main hub. And so there's actually one main street. And when I actually got to Hanoi on my bike, I had made contacts with someone in Saigon and he looked at my bike. I said, I just want to sell it. By then the rack was off, the indicator stopped working, things had fallen off. It was hanging in there by thread. And I had my fake blue card and I gave it to him and he said, 50 bucks. And I was like, oh, and he goes, and I'll give you some free drinks at my bar. I think it was called Hair of the Dog have a downstairs and an upstairs upstairs was for westerners downstairs is the vietnamese don't ask me why but went upstairs and it was all very subdued and dark and like you know a couple of beers and i went in there and i said oh i sold my bike i get some free drinks and they all look at me like who is this guy then he came in the owner of the bar and he said you downstairs downstairs was like mirrors and <laughs> like disco and it was raging and i was you know i was getting free shots all night so you know, my memory of my bike was it gave me $50 and a hell of a night out. So it was a good parting gift and I never saw it again. I don't know where it's gone. So <laughs> We spoke about the Bun Cha in Ho Chi Minh City. Yes. It's a northern dish. Yes. It is amazing in Hanoi. Yes. If you go to Bun Cha Hong Lien, now try and try. spell that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's actually where Barack Obama went and ate Bun Cha and it made it famous. They've actually got his seat and his table encased it. in glass <laughs> now. I haven't touched it. That is a perfect example of what you said about eating at places that serve one thing. Yes. Because they only serve Bun Cha. Yes. Right? They do a vegetarian version. They do a pork version. Yeah. That's it. It is possibly the best soup noodle I've ever had. I'm not a big fan of pho. I mm. find pho to be a little bit bland and lacking in flavor. Mm-hmm. Buncha is the complete opposite. Yeah. And in terms of actual restaurants themselves, Hanoi food culture has some of the best treat yourself dishes. If you want to escape that Vietnamese and again, head to a Western option, Dirty Bird is pretty much KFC, but better. <laughs> and you always get people that want a slice of home or sports fans and stuff like that. And for me, my home when I was in Hanoi after tours, Puku mm. Cafe and Bar is a sports bar, Western style. They'll play AFL, they'll play NRL, they'll play any sort of sport that you want them to. If you go and talk to them about it, they'll sort it out for you. Well, let's head to one of the seven natural wonders of the world, Ha Long Bay. What a place. There's nothing else to say but go and do yep. it. 
Like, yep. <laughs> don't go to Vietnam and not do Ha Long Bay. How long is it from Hanoi, Farron? It's probably about... About three hours, I think, three, four hours. You can get buses that go straight from your hostel that take you there. And I think they also do package deals as well. Yeah, so that's what I used to do with my groups. We used to do an overnight mm -hmm. cruise. I 100% recommend yes. those if you've got the, the money for it. There is nothing like being on Ha Long Bay at sunset and then seeing sunrise as well, if you get that mm. chance. You can go and check out the Sunset Caves as well. Yep. Cat Bar Island, I never got to. Don't forget supper. The final stop and the little added bonus, it's become a bit of a backpacker haven now, is north of Ha Long Bay and Hanoi. Pretty much on the border of China is Sapa. And I had the luxury of actually being able to get up there on my last tour that I ran in Vietnam. Mm. I finished up and uh, took a bus up there. You can take a train up there. The train's supposed to be really yep. beautiful. The bus was fine. It takes about eight hours. Yes. Or if you've got your motorbike, obviously you can take your motorbike up there. Because to me, the best thing you can do in Sapa, if you haven't already got your motorbike, is get a motorbike chase waterfalls till the cows come home and check out the viewpoints. Yes. It is so beautiful. Yep. The climate is so much cooler yes. and the people up there are very different as well. The culture up there is all about guest houses. So people will actively take you into their guest houses. They'll cook for you. They'll teach you a little bit about their lifestyle. Basically Sapa is a village. It comes into what's called Lao Kai. So the train and the buses all stop there. The little women that come around that are actually the villagers, and they actually take you for guided tours. They take you up and you're going through the trails and the girls are being offered trinkets and everything else. I was offered a wife. I was laughing. Yeah. They're like, we're not joking. I'm like, okay, all right. And she was whacking me with some leaves. You know, she, she wouldn't, wouldn't let up this lady. And I turn around and she had a marijuana plant and she's just whacking me on the back of the shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, what, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, it just grows everywhere around here. <laughs> like you're saying, if you get the chance to sit and sleep in a guest house and do that experience, it's fun. It's probably one of the wilder experiences I've had. Like it was cold. They had fires to light up for the mosquitoes because it is an area where they're considered to have malaria. So you're sort of smoky, you know, that camping kind of feel, you know, that do you want chicken? Yep. And then you hear this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you do the tour, you obviously do the walk. I recommend you do the hike. You know, if you're a bit unfit, take your time. It is amazing. You can actually see China, I think from the top. And when you get into supper, well, they offered us, do you want to get a bus back or do you want to get a motorbike back? So me being me, I said, yeah, I got on the back of the motorbike. And what the local women said to me was, the men here are not bright. The women here are smart. The women here, we work, we speak English. And she wasn't wrong. The men, did they just nodded and smiled. So I got on the back with this guy, not a word of English. I don't know why, but every single pothole he'd go for. So we're going along and bang, bang, and I went, and he's laughing at me, like grinning, like, is this a stunt thing? And I, I was starting to get a bit tense. Then he took a corner and a car came around and missed me by a whisker. And by then I'm thinking, okay, I actually don't know if this guy knows how to ride. And we got right into Lao Kai. There was a ladder and a Toyota Land Cruiser. He went for the gap and I used pure judgment and said, we're not going through there. I jumped off the back. He hit the Land Cruiser, knocked over the ladder and sped off and left me. And I just casually walked as though nothing happened. Holy crap. <laughs> and I was walking around Lao Kai and the ladder's down and they're all yelling at the guys speeding up the road. And that was it. And so I didn't have to pay him, which was good. But look, like, like you said, that area with the trails and the roads is absolutely spectacular. Yeah, the views up there are just phenomenal. And I think it's a great way to round out Vietnam, especially if you've got that little bit of extra time at the end, yeah. which pretty much rounds us out. 
Let's get a little bit on what you've been up to. You do a little bit of riding and, and stuff, yeah? I actually, funnily enough, had a motorbike crash uh, last year. 10 broken ribs and a collarbone. Uh, I was sitting there for a month without anything to do, so I started to do some writing. Obviously, I picked it up at university as well, but uh, I have decided to maybe pen some of these stories into a book just to try and get it out of my head and onto paper. Uh, And also, I think everyone's got their own story to tell. You know, I'm sort of trying to set myself up where if people have those stories that we can actually try and get them on print and try and turn them into something interesting and palatable and, uh, yeah, see where it goes from there. So, All right, one last one from you, Phil. What's the top three things on your bucket list? I'd love to go see Japan again. I'd love to go and see further north just to see the snow culture and yeah. all that kind of stuff. If I was to go back to Southeast Asia, I'd love to go to Laos. Laos gorgeous. I loved it. And mate, the last one I actually want to go to are uh, Winton in Queensland. It's weird because obviously we're in a situation with COVID where we can't do much international travel. Yeah. Uh, Winton's about a thousand kilometers northwest of Brisbane. And it's made famous because of all the dinosaur fossils and stuff. But there was a film I saw about eight years ago directed by Nick Cave. And there's this scene where the sun is coming down on the rock and it's just this haunting image of like red sand and this and that. And they filmed it all in winter. So part of me wants to go out there just because I know I can. So Japan would be more the cultural. Lao would be more see what happens and then uh, winter would be because I can. Yeah, I think the whole idea of because you can at the moment is is essential. slogan, mate. (laughs) <laughs> yeah absolutely because you can because <laughs> you can like i fly out to darwin today basically because i can and trying to learn a little bit more about aboriginal culture in australia yes but yeah i think it's important that we don't get stuck in the idea of we can't travel because of covid the thing is covid's a thing covid's going to be a thing now for a while we've got itchy feet that's what this is all about you know you've got to scratch mm-hmm. that itch and i think you need to travel because you can mm-hmm. try and utilize what you can and do things that you wouldn't have otherwise yeah Awesome. Well, that pretty much wraps us up then, Phil. Been an absolute pleasure having you here, man. No worries, mate. Enjoy and uh, stay safe, everyone out there.